Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. morning everyone my name is Ben if we haven't met it's great that we can continue in this series together Uh, we're going to pray again and then we'll hook into this passage let's pray Heavenly Father thank you so much uh, that we uh, have the ability now to sit down and hear from the living God and so God as you speak to us through your word we pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand and we pray Lord that you would transform us and change us Lord That we would walk out today different people because we've met with the living God and you've spoken to us and we've heard it. So help us uh, be among us today, right now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians uh, over a long time have had, I think, a bit of a confused and at times unhelpful understanding when it comes to singleness. You might have experienced this or been a part of it, uh, whether it's in churches, whether it was intended or not, uh, how Christians, how the church has understood singleness has, has sometimes been a bit confused. And, and this was a part of my story. So uh, I became a Christian at 18, um, and then uh, I was then single for three years when I was uh, 18. Now, I am not by any stretch of the imagination, trying to say that I am an expert in these things. Uh, I know the reality that many people have had the experience of singleness for much longer than that. So I'm not speaking out of my wisdom today. Hopefully the plan is we'll look at God's Word and see what God says. However, some interesting things happened in the season of singleness that I was in because of the culture, the church culture that uh, was kind of around me. You see, I was uh, 18 And it felt like being single, I was less than everyone else. It kind of felt like that the church had made marriage the goal of the Christian life, that you entered onto the conveyor belt, got married, and then that was kind of the dream that you had kind of made it. And although now looking back, I realize it was not a long time to be single, I remember in the middle of it feeling like it was a really long time being single. In fact, I remember thinking, and this is a a little bit foolishness and arrogant, but I was on the journey towards ministry. I was at Bible college and stuff like that. And I remember thinking one day, um, God is using this time for one day I'll be able to speak to people about my experience of being singleness. Such arrogance, right, to think that. Looking back now, I know that that was not a long time at all. However, it wasn't just my arrogance and foolishness that led me to that point. It was also the Christian culture that I was around. And I was young, and yet what it felt like was every single one of my, again, it felt like this, but it felt like every single one of my friends was hitching up and getting married. That's what it felt like. It felt like everyone was getting married, moving out of home, having kids, and then inviting me to speak at their 18th birthday party. That's a joke. They didn't ask me to speak at it. But that was the vibe, right? Like I was 21 and felt like somehow I was missing out. Now, how did we arrive at that point? I think we arrived at that point because we had some misunderstandings around the the picture, the understanding of singleness. And whether it was intentional or not, I think what happened was we, we, you know, in church cultures, we begin to hear things like, maybe maybe you've been there, maybe someone said this to you, but you overhear conversations like, oh, we've got to get them married. You know, you heard that conversation or, you you know, you you hear someone saying, are you still single? 
You know, we have conversations like that. Or, or maybe the, the vibe just is, you know, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that you'll get single. Now, uh, you'll get married. Now, of course, there's no, that, that is an appropriate thing if someone shares their struggles with that, of course. But, but within this, sometimes people aren't asking for that and they get told that. And, and we add to this, this culture of being married is the goal and being single is less than. And so what we've got to do is we've just got to think about this for a moment. And what we've got to do is we've got to go to God's Word, right? We, we always have to go to God's Word. We've got to go to God's Word about this, and we've got to think about it and ask the question, okay, so what does God say about singleness? Does God speak into this? You know, is singleness the plague to avoid at all costs? Or does God correct that? And if God corrects that, what's the vision that He has for singleness? This is where we're going to go today. But up front, what we want to do before we get into the Bible is we want to um, just say this. So there's a few things to understand here. Um, there are a few different types of singleness, okay? So we'll see this in this passage uh, and in all of chapter 7. So uh, you've got those who are unmarried. So those who haven't been married yet. Okay, now um, in the passage, they're going to be called virgins, which, which is weird, Okay, I don't think Paul, if he was writing today, would call them virgins, because we never use that language. It is a bit strange, but 2,000 years ago, obviously in Corinth, that was fine. Okay, so, so there are those who are single and haven't been married. There are also those who are widowed. So that also is included in this, this understanding of singleness. So those whose partner has passed away. And then there's also those who have been divorced. And Paul has addressed this and spoken about this just in the verses before that. And so that's all in the category of singleness when we're thinking about that. Now, it's also worth saying that for some people, singleness is a choice. And for some people, singleness is a choice that's out of their hands. For some people, they're happy about where they are. And for others, it's painful and difficult and a real struggle. And for others, it's the, the journey of some days it's okay and other days it's not. And we, we just got to recognize that up front as we are heading into this passage. Uh, we also want to say, as we're getting into this passage, what we're going to find is this is like Paul's wisdom. Okay, so it's almost like the Apostle Paul, we get to sit the Apostle Paul down, who saw Jesus and is incredibly faithful and knows lots about the Bible. It's almost like we get to sit Paul down and say, brother, tell us, give us some wisdom on singleness. Now, that's the vibe of this text, because what he's about to say is, I have no command from the Lord. And, and the idea there is, he's going to say that the takeaway is marriage is good, but singleness is better. That's... That's actually what he's going to say. Um, but the vibe is, if you want to get married, it's not sin. Okay, so it's like he's giving us wisdom. That's the vibe of the text. Okay, so what does God say about singleness? Well, let's, let's dig into this. If you've got your Bibles there, have them open in chapter 7. Or it'll be behind me on the screen as well. But this is where we pick it up. Verse 25. Now about virgins, about singles, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. So what does God say about singleness? Well, he's going to say marriage is good, but singleness is is better. That's what he's going to say. This is not a command. This is wisdom. And the context here matters. Okay, so let's just make sure we got the context. Last week, Ross was just talking about um, the beauty of marriage. Okay, so it's on the back of that. The context also matters. There's a present crisis. 
Okay, we don't know what the present crisis is in Corinth. People guess that it might be a famine. Uh, it could also be a war. It, we don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I think the point that Paul is going to make is marriage is hard at the best of times. So with regards to the present crisis, marriage is good. Singleness is better is, is what he's going to say. And to do that, to show us that, the first point of Paul's here is let's expose the idol of marriage. That's what we're going to see, right? For the, the first point, he's going to expose the idol of marriage. And in the context of singleness, it's, it's important that we expose the idol of marriage because it's possible that people have put this picture of marriage like it's this beautiful union that's going to be perfect forever. Sometimes it feels like that in the church and in culture around us. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to expose it. Let's bring it into the light. Let's see what marriage really is. And the first point within marriage and exposing the idol of marriage, the first point is, in verse uh, 28 there, marriage brings troubles. Okay, that's the first one. I don't know if you caught that. He says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Now, I know you're like, hang on, is that, is that really in the Bible? It's really in the Bible. Okay, so, so what Paul's doing here is he's, he's wanting to show us expose it. Let's expose the idol of marriage. Marriage brings trouble. Now, you know, we all have the picture of the wedding day. The wedding day is all perfect. Everyone looks great. You know, it's this wonderful moment. And then often there's a honeymoon after the wedding day. Um, but if you think that marriages reflect the wedding days, if you think they're going to be as perfect as the wedding days, well, you would be deluded. In fact, psychologists have this idea. They speak about rose-colored glasses. It's the glasses where you see your partner as like the most perfect thing ever. Psychologists say they, that lasts 6 to 12 months. It might be from the moment you start dating or from the moment you get married. For some of us here this morning, we think 6 to 12 months, maybe 6 to 12 minutes, might be more, right? But, but this is the reality that marriage brings trouble. Now, this is important we think about this in the context of singleness, okay? Because, because singleness has troubles, right? There is a real pain to singleness. And, and we've got to think about that as a church family. You know, Ross said last week uh, that it's important as a family to think about marriage. Well, we also need to think about the struggles that our brothers and sisters who are single have. It, it is hard to be single. There is pain here. You know, it, it, there is a loneliness at times that, it, that can be crippling. It's hard um, to watch friends and family go through life seasons that you would like to go through. It can even be hard to come to church because it appears that Everyone's got it all together and their families and, and, you know, at times you've got to sit by yourself and it's difficult. There are all sorts of troubles with this. There's an author, Danny Treweek, who's just written a book called The Meaning of Singleness. If you're interested in what the Bible says about singleness, it's worth, um, it, it would be worth having a read of this. I haven't, had a read, uh, I haven't had a read of this. I've seen her stuff though online and the stuff that she says is good, but she speaks about this as well. And she says this, here's the quote from her. She says, when you're single, you are lacking in love, lacking in sexual fulfillment, lacking in relational intimacy, lacking in purpose, lacking in possibility, lacking in belonging, lacking in authentic self-realization. This is a, a woman, Danny is, uh, I think she's in her 40s and she's, um, she's single. She's written this book. Singleness does have a pain and a struggle that we do as a church family have to recognize. And I'm, we're not trying to undermine this reality. In fact, I think as if you are not single here today, we've got to recognize this. We've got to understand this. And I think we've got to extend a 
understanding and a connection and a level of empathy to our single brothers and sisters here at church. We, we have to extend that. We have to extend a level of grace that maybe feels unnatural because there are struggles in singleness. However, let's just see what Paul's saying here. He's saying there's struggles there, but there's also struggles in marriage. Marriage brings troubles. Right? This is Paul's first point here. So if you think that, if there's troubles in singleness, if you think that getting married is going to solve that, it might solve the pain of singleness, but it's just going to bring new pain and different pain. And this is, this is a part of exposing the idol of marriage. Marriage is not going to solve all of your problems in life. It's just going to actually introduce different pain and different troubles. In fact, th- again, this was our story. Uh, Elizabeth and I got married. So she, uh, my wife and I, we'd been married eight and a half years or something like that. But the first two years of our marriage were the hardest times that I had had in my life. Um, we fought constantly about all sorts of things, communication and expectations and, uh, and intimacy stuff. And I was slow to learn and selfish And after two years, we had to go and see marriage counselors. And it was the best decision that we ever made. But it was not easy. It was was incredibly difficult. Marriage, you are literally doubling your pain. That's the reality. I mean, you think about it. And then if you have kids, that goes even more. Um, Someone described having kids like your heart walking outside of your body. The the reality of marriage and family is that your troubles just begin to multiply. It doesn't solve all of it. It just multiplies. So in a relationship, if one person has anxiety, both feel the weight of that. If one person gets sick, both feel the weight of that. If, um, if one person has mental health problems, both feel the weight of that. And then you have kids and the troubles just get more and more. You are actually doubling and then multiplying the trouble that comes with family. Now, it's worth we, uh, us recognizing this. Because in the context of singleness, if you think that marriage is going to solve your problems, it's just going to introduce different problems. Marriage brings trouble. And we we just have to see that. We have to recognize that. And we have to expose the idol of marriage. And that's what Paul's doing here. In verse 28, he's saying, I I want to, what does he say? He says, uh, I want to spare you of this because marriage brings trouble. Okay, so so the first thing in exposing the idol of marriage is let's let's recognize marriage brings trouble. As we keep going, there's, there's the second one as he keeps going. And the second problem within marriage is it doesn't satisfy. So let's have a look at verse 29. This is what he says. And what I mean, brothers and sisters is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, and those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, and those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed by them, for the world in its present form is passing away. Now, he does seem a bit confused here, doesn't he? Like mourn, but don't mourn. Be happy, but don't be happy. Have a wife, but live as if you don't have a wife. And so... Paul looks like he's a bit confused in this moment. Um, so what's he saying? Well, often what's he saying in the Bible, often you can see from the start and the end, and the start there, time is short, and then the end there, time is fading away. It's kind of the key thing to what he's saying here. And I think actually verse 31 uh, captures it when he says there, that those who use the thing of this world as if not engrossed by them. And the point that Paul is making here is this, right? Everything in the world is fading. 
Everything in this world is fading. And so what that means is, is if everything in this world is passing away, then it cannot truly satisfy. I think what he's actually saying here is don't make good gifts into ultimate gifts. Right? Don't make good gifts into God things, where you think that the gift in this world is going to satisfy the depths of your heart. Now, what's this got to do with marriage? Well, marriage is a good gift, but a terrible God. Marriage is a good gift, but a terrible God. It's, it's a terrible thing if you think that it's going to satisfy the depths of who you are. Marriage can't satisfy because marriage doesn't last. In fact, Jesus said that. Jesus said there won't be any marriage in heaven, which is a hugely confronting thing. And, and I hope that I'll still know Elizabeth in heaven and we can still live near each other and hang out and all that sort of stuff. But we're not going to be married. And, and if something doesn't last, then it can't truly satisfy. Now, again, in the context of singleness, this is really important because if you think that marriage is going to satisfy you, it won't because it can't. If you're single and you're not satisfied, the reality is when you're married, you won't be satisfied because marriage actually can't satisfy the depths of your soul. Now, uh, this is something I think that's worth thinking about in our current climate at the moment, both culturally and within the church. Because I think that, again, it's not just the church that may, has made marriage the goal. I think our culture has as well. So um, it's interesting, about 30 years ago, generally and broadly speaking, our culture, the only people who cared about marriage, now again, it's a generalization, but the only people who cared about marriage were Christians. You know, because I, I don't know if you heard stuff like this where people would say, why would you get married? Like, it doesn't matter if you get married or not. Um, just stay together. Marriage doesn't seem to work. And so you want to keep the spark alive, don't get married. And then, so that was like 30 years ago. And then the tide of culture began to change. And I think that actually it began to change around five to 10 years ago with the same-sex marriage debate. Where within that debate was this underlying message that marriage is a human right. And who is anyone to say anything otherwise? Now, I'm not interested in going into the details of that. If you want to know what we think about where the family rules apply, go back to the first talk of this series where we talked about that. In the last couple of weeks, we've also talked about what marriage is and the picture of what marriage is. However, what I am interested in is this statement that marriage is a human right. Because if marriage is a human right on the level of food and water and shelter, there are huge problems that come out of that. I mean, what about singles? Right? If you need marriage to be someone, then if you're single, are you not someone? Are you a subpar human being if you're not married? And, and if your identity comes from your marriage and the person you're connected to, well, does that mean our singles can't have an identity? And if, you, if you're still not convinced by it, I mean, you think about the grim realities of life, which are that the majority of our marriages will end with one person being a widow. You know, like, except for the very rare occasions where partners might pass away together, the reality is someone is going to be left by themselves. So if marriage is a human right, if you are no one without the other person, then what we're saying is for our widows, they're also less than. Or for those who are divorced, they're also less than. It is a massive problem if marriage is a human right. Now, I, I, I do wish that in the church we could say we've done better than this. But I think we've actually added to this. 
you know, when, when you make marriage the goal, when that's the vibe of the church and the conveyor belt is, you know, become a Christian, get married, and then hopefully one day your kids will get married. If that's the goal, then what we've done within the church is we too have made that reality that if you're single, you're less than. It's a massive problem. And, and again, we might not intend to do this, but if the constant line or the constant thing we're hearing is like, you know, we've really got to get them married or we've got to find someone for them. Or we, we actually have the nerve to even ask people about, you know, their relationship status without them bringing it up. What we're doing is we're adding to this and we're making marriage the goal. But the, the problem is, if we've landed here, the problem is we haven't landed here from the Bible because in the Bible, marriage is not the goal. Do you know what the goal is in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus is the goal, not marriage. Jesus is the goal in the Bible because marriage can't satisfy. Marriage is here today and gone tomorrow, but Jesus can satisfy the depths of your heart. And when we're considering marriage in the context of singleness, we've got to expose the idol of marriage. You, you might think that, and culture might paint this picture, that this is this union that's going to satisfy you, but it won't satisfy. It can't satisfy. So, so as Paul is exposing the idol of marriage, number one, it brings troubles. Number two, it doesn't satisfy. But number three, one more thing that he wants to expose here is the fact that marriage distracts you and divides your attention. So let's have a look at this from verse 32. He says this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. The third problem with marriage is that it divides your attention. There is a reality that when you get married, you now have divided attention and now your attention needs to be on the person that you're with. Now, it's not a bad thing, but it's not an easy thing. It is a hard thing to realize that you are not your own. You know, uh, again, so Elizabeth and I, when we first got married, so before we got married, uh, I really love fishing. It's a pastime for me and hopefully a future time as well. Um, but uh, I really love fishing. And on a Monday, what we would do is me and my mate, before we got married, when I was single, um, before we got married, a mate of, of mine and I, we would go fishing at, at dusk on a Monday afternoon and we would fish to about 7.30 and then you'd get home at around 8.30. It didn't matter. You know, uh, single, it was great. I loved it. And uh, then Elizabeth and I got together and then we got married. And then when we got married, I, I continued to do that. Now, at the time, Elizabeth was working on a Monday, and uh, I, would, uh, I, I had a day off on a Monday, and so I would go fishing before she would get home, and then I would get home at about 8.30. Now, how do you think Elizabeth felt about that experience? You know, I, I didn't understand for the first little bit of our marriage. I didn't understand why she was upset with that reality, and, and that's because I think I must be missing some brain cells. Like, looking back now, it's like, you are such a fool. But in the moment, I was slow to realize this reality that when you get married, you are actually, you're not your own. You can't just do whatever you want. You know, you can't just go fishing whenever you want. 
can't just come home late from work without sending a message or touching base with the person you're with. You, you can't just hang out with whoever you want. You can't just go meet with a mate, say you're going to be an hour and take three hours. You can't just do whatever, whatever you want because you are not your own. Now, I think some of us might need to just realize this. You know, for some of us, um, we see this truth, but, but we, and we might have got married for companionship or sex, but then, then, then when our wife or our husband asks us of something, you know, we say things like, oh, the old ball and chain, or we whinge about it. But the, the problem with that is that, that that's not what we signed up for, right? You, you can't complain about what you signed up for. And, and if this is you, brother or sister... Um, the best advice that I ever got was if you lean into it rather than fight it, your life will be better. Because when you get married, you are not your own. And, and that's actually the reality of what you are signing up for. You can't just be a single guy who now gets to do whatever you want or a single girl who now... No, no, when you're married, you are actually... You actually need to divide your attention. That's the reality of what happens. Now, in the context of what Paul is speaking about in singleness, this is why, again, he wants to expose this idol of marriage. Marriage is not just this perfect thing where you can do whatever you want. No, there is a difficulty to the fact that you now are not your own. There is a challenge to that. And it's confronting, and at, at times it's difficult, and at times you might need other people outside of your marriage to help you with that. So, so what Paul does here is he's speaking about singleness, is, is he wants to expose the idol of marriage. He wants us to recognize marriage is good, but there are some problems with it, and we've got we to gotta call that out and, and recognize that. Now, now, if this is what he's saying in terms of, you know, as he's addressing singleness, he, he's essentially saying up front, okay, here's some reasons not to, but of course we don't just want that. We want to know, okay, but what's the vision for singleness then? You know, what, what, is the, what does Paul say the vision for singleness is? Well, this is where he goes here. He speaks about the idol of marriage, and then he goes into the vision of singleness. And he's kind of touched on this already, but in verse 35, it's really captured when he says this. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So, so here is Paul's vision for, for those who are single. And this is why he said marriage is good, but singleness is better. It's because... You can live in a way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And the truth is, living undividedly, devoted to the Lord, there is actually nothing better than that. That's the truth. There is nothing better in this world than you can do than being devoted to the Lord. Now, why is that? Why is being devoted to the Lord the best thing ever? Well, it's fascinating because everything that we saw with marriage... All of the problems that Paul spoke about, what you see in Jesus, it's all undone. Jesus fulfills that. So if you think about marriage brings trouble, right? The pain multiplies. Jesus literally came into the world to deal with trouble. That's why he entered into the world. And when you look at his life and his death and his resurrection, you see time and time again, Jesus dealing with people's pain and trouble. And it's beautiful. Jesus in his life, he sat with the lonely. He cared for the outcasts. He went after those who society had pushed down and said, you're less than. And Jesus healed them and cared for them. Then in Jesus' death, he went to the cross to deal with pain and to deal with trouble and to deal with sin. And then in his resurrection, he rose from the dead, as we sung about before, and he offers this future hope of future glory, of life and joy and peace where there's no loneliness, no sickness, no suffering, none of that. 
marriage and relationships bring trouble. Jesus deals with trouble. Then you think about this idea, marriage doesn't satisfy, but Jesus satisfies. Now, there's this beautiful moment in uh, John chapter 4. Ross spoke to us about this a few weeks ago. Um, And in John chapter 4, there's this moment where Jesus goes and speaks to this woman at the well. And there's lots going on in this passage. But it's this amazing moment. So she is with a a guy um, who's not her husband. And she had been married five times before that. And so she's living in the mess of marriage and separation and the complications of all that. And in John chapter 4, Jesus has this beautiful line where he speaks to her and he says this. He says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And it's sort of this idea, Jesus is saying here, I can satisfy you. If you drink from me, if you stop searching for your satisfaction in places of this world and to this woman in relationships, if you stop searching for it there, there's a reality here that Jesus can satisfy. And it it is true and it's beautiful when you, you grasp this because Jesus can truly satisfy the deep longings of our heart to be loved. Only Jesus brings an unconditional love. Jesus can satisfy the deep longings of our heart of companionship and of someone who's not going to let us down. Jesus does that for us. Jesus is the one who can satisfy the depths of our heart where we don't have to earn or work for his favor, but that he gives us that because of the finished work on the cross. Do you see, marriage doesn't satisfy. It can't because it's fading away, but Jesus does. And he brings us a deep soul satisfaction when we trust in him. If you drink of him, he says, he will satisfy you. Jesus deals with trouble. He satisfies your soul. And then when you think about this last point, marriage divides your attention. Jesus literally gives us something to do and invest in that's going to go forever. You see, everything we invest in in this life will fade. Everything, right? Your your job one day, you will retire from it. Your car will break down. Your house will fall apart. Everything. And even marriage doesn't last into eternity. However, Jesus gives us something to do that will last into eternity. He says, if you're devoted to me, this is something that you can do that's an eternal kingdom. And if you're wanting purpose, if you're wanting meaning in life, here it is. Jesus gives us, he invites us to do something that goes forever. Now, when you grasp the significance of this, of course, it's, it's beautiful and life-changing. And this is true for all of us, whatever stage of life we're in. But Jesus is actually inviting us to do something that lasts. You know, it reminds me, uh, earlier this year, uh, I went to the beach with my, uh, well, with Elizabeth, and my brother was down there. And my nephew's 16 years old, and one of the things he wanted to do while he was down there was dig a hole. He literally took uh, shovels and all that stuff. He called himself the Sand King. And no joke, over the course of a week, I reckon he spent like, this is conservative to say, between like 30 to 40 hours digging this hole. And the, the hole was massive, and he set this throne up in the hole, and it was pretty impressive, this hole. You know what happened one night? The tide came up, and all the hard work that they had put in was gone. Now, yeah, a bit of fun on a holiday, right? Good on him if that's what you want to do on your time at the beach. 
And I did have a go as well. It was a bit of fun as well uh, to dig that hole. But there is a reality here, right? When you, when you consider that, you know, uh, like that's a bit of fun, but no one is truly going to invest their whole lives in building a sandcastle. Because we all know what happens with sand. The tide comes up and washes it away. Now, here is what Jesus is saying here. Everything in this world will wash away. It will fade. It will disappear. But Jesus gives you something and invites you to do something that will not fade or will not disappear. You know, if you can be a part of someone's story of coming to faith, in eternity that's still going to be celebrated. If you can be a part of someone staying the path and holding on to their faith, keep walking until they see Jesus, that is something that will last forever. This is the type of thing that Jesus is inviting us to. And this is why he says marriage is good, but singleness is better because you can actually do something that goes into eternity. Now, yes, of course, we can all do that, right? Marrieds can do that, of course. People in relationships can do that, of course. But as we saw with the idol of marriage exposed, that there's things that are pulling our attention away from doing this. And this is his vision for marriage. It's for your good, not to restrict you. It's for your good. So, so when we think about it, he exposes the idol of marriage and then he gives us a vision of singleness. So then the last question we want to think about is this. Okay, so what does this practically mean? What are some implications of what we've seen? Um, and, and so as we think about this, and then Paul's final words as well, we've got four implications from this passage that I think we've got to think through and sit on and, and take away from today. So, so number one, um, that from this passage I think we've got to do is we've got to value singleness. Okay, I, I think that is clear from this passage. And so... Just to reiterate this, if you are here today and, and you are single, maybe culture says you're subpar. Maybe the, even the church culture has implied that. But I, I want to be clear about this. God does not say that. God values you and, and values the season of life that you're in. And I hope that's a deep encouragement from God's Word. I want to say this too, that as a church, if we are married, we too need to put some value on singleness. We need to raise our awareness of this. Paul does say this, marriage is good, but singleness is better. Let's live like that. You know, of course, if someone is speaking to us about the struggles, let's care for them. Let's pursue our single brothers and sisters. Let's show empathy towards them. But let's also put a value on that and stop saying things out of line that undermines the position of life that they're in. So number one, we've got to value singleness. Number two, um, if you are single here today, the invitation is to use what you have for God's kingdom. That's the encouragement here. The encouragement is that you have an opportunity to serve the Lord and there's nothing better than you can do. There's nothing better in this life that you can do than serve Jesus. And, and I'm not, this is not just like, this is a good thing or whatever. No, this is the best thing that you can possibly do. And, and so I want to encourage you to use your singleness to serve Jesus. Now, I also want to say that here at Southside over the years, we wouldn't be where we are today as a church if we did not have people that did this. You know, we are a church that stands on the back of single brothers and sisters who serve the Lord with their time that others of us couldn't. And we're grateful for you. And we're thankful for you. And we wouldn't have enough time to mention all the people who have single and served the Lord wholeheartedly. But from the depths of our heart, we love you. And you are valued here. And, and we want to keep encouraging you to keep serving the Lord. Because there's nothing better than you can do. That's the second implication from this. Number three, the third implication from this, is if you are single and you're pursuing marriage, that's not a bad thing. I want to make that clear. Marriage is good. 
singleness is better, but marriage is good. So I'm not like, if you're dating here today or engaged, I'm not trying to talk you out of that, to be clear about that. Now, Paul does touch on this. Uh, he says this here in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I'm in John. Let me just read that. If anyone is worried uh, that he might be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to uh, and his passions are too strong and feels that he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. Okay, so, so Paul says marriage is good. So if you're, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're pursuing this, great. Marriage is a good thing. Um, However, it is worth speaking about this idea, to to reiterate this, Ross touched on this uh, last week, but he says something there about the passions, right? He says, if the passions are too strong, in verse 9 of chapter 7, he also said something about burning with passion. So we've just got to think about this. What is Paul saying when he's speaking about this idea? Well, I think what he's saying is he's speaking about this reality that for men and women, there is a sex drive when you're single that you have that you can't really do anything with. It is one of the struggles of singleness. And so what Paul's saying is, if it gets too much, yeah, pursue marriage. That's a good thing to pursue marriage. Uh, However, what we've got to recognize is, you can't just throw self-control out when you get married. No, you need self-control in marriage, and there's going to be seasons in marriage where you can't be intimate with your husband or wife. That, that is a reality. You know, uh, last week's passage was in prayer, um, but it might be things like pregnancy or health or mental health. There might be all sorts of reasons that you can't be together. So you can't take this passage and just be like, well, I got some passion, so let's do something with that. No, you, you still have to show self-control. And in marriage, it's important that we show self-control. The other thing, too, to reiterate that Ross mentioned last week is if you're single and you're struggling with porn, marriage is not going to solve that. In fact, if anything, it's going to make it worse because porn sets up unrealistic expectations. And, and actually, this is why the whole consent thing at the moment is such a big thing in our culture because what porn says is things that are, quite frankly, abusive are okay in sex. And it's not okay. You can't just get married and think, well, I can just do whatever I want because now I'm married. No, that's not, that's not the way this passage is intended. We still need to show self-control and we still need to, I mean, by, you know, all sorts of stuff from the last passage. We want to build a culture of trust and intimacy and all that sort of stuff. So it's worth just reiterating that. However, the point I think that Paul's making here is if you want to get married, good. Marriage is a good thing. So that's, that's the point. Uh, number four, last one uh, that we've got. Um, pursue a follower of Jesus. So if you are single and you're thinking about, okay, maybe it is time and maybe there is an opportunity for you, the encouragement here is to pursue a follower of Jesus. So he speaks to widows here um, and he says, uh, there you can see it there, if the husband dies, she is, to ma- uh, she is free to marry anyone who, sh- uh, who she wishes, um, but he must belong to the Lord. And so what Paul's saying, the advice that he's giving us is find someone who follows Jesus. Now, the reason for this is because, as we've already seen, marriage is hard. And if at the core of who you are is Jesus, which we want it to be, it should be, right? The very center of who we are should be Jesus. Then being married to someone who does not follow Jesus is going to be incredibly difficult and challenging. 
You know, if you think about your values in life, like if I want to go to church, if I am connected to a growth group, um, kids become even more complicated in that. If the person you're pursuing is not a follower of Jesus, it's going to make it very difficult. And you might think I'll be okay, but if I can pass on the wisdom that has been passed on to me from some of the uh, elderly people in our church over the years, particularly who have been in this position, um, they would urge you not to because it is such a challenge when you're with someone who doesn't follow Jesus and you long for them to follow Jesus. It's all sorts of complications, especially, I mean, we talked about some, but I mean, you think about things with money and stuff like that. Like, how can you give and all that sort of stuff? It's complicated uh, to think through this stuff. Now, uh, it's worth saying here too, like, singleness is hard, of course, um, but I think what Paul is reminding us is that a short-term pain, a short-term win is not worth the long-term pain. So to get married simply because you don't want to be alone, but if the person's not a follower of Jesus, then, then there's a chance that you are actually sacrificing your soul for the sake of marriage. It, it, and in some ways, if that's what happens, it's like selling your house and buying a sandcastle. Right? That is kind of the image there. It's short-term Gain for long-term pain. So, so the advice here, the wisdom here is find someone who follows Jesus. Now, um, it, it's worth saying this too. In chapter 7, uh, he says, if you are married and your wife or your husband is not a believer of Jesus, stay as you are. Right? Maybe you become a Christian. You know, and, and, and when you became a Christian and your partner's not there yet, Paul says, stay as you are. Don't leave that. Pray for them. Love them. You know, we would love to be praying for them as well. Um, but if you're single and you're thinking about who to get married, follow, find someone who follows Jesus. There's some implications there. There's some more, I'm sure, uh, from this passage. and You could read uh, the remainder of it. Um, but I think there's at least four things to be thinking about. Now, as we get to the end of this chapter, there is a reality that the next chapter changes tone a bit. So we've spent a long time on marriages and, and, and relationships and singleness and stuff like that. The next one goes into food. So slightly different sort of stuff. And, and so what we want to say is this. If we are finishing this small section in 1 Corinthians... And there is some stuff that's been raised. We just want to say, would you, would you take the opportunity to speak to someone about this? Don't just sit on it, right? If, if there's some stuff that you're feeling uneasy about, you know, Ross or myself, we'd love to chat. We'd love to, if we can, point you in the right direction as well. If you've got a growth leader that you trust or someone at church that you trust, talk to them about some of this stuff. Don't just sit on this stuff, right? There might be some really raw things that have been raised, some really problematic things that have been raised. Talk to someone about this. If in the last few weeks as well, you've been thinking about maybe we should see a marriage counselor too, from our experience, it was the best thing that we did. You know, if you're thinking about it, you know, I know how these things work. You think maybe we should, and then six months later, maybe we should, and then, you know, 20 years later, maybe we should. And it's just like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, it's such a good thing. It was good for us. And so we want to encourage you in that. But, but if this stuff has been raised in this series, would you, would you make sure you talk to people about this? Don't just sit on this because some big stuff has been raised and, and we know that. And as a family, we want to talk about that stuff and bring it to the light. We'll post some stuff on social media as well about links that you could go if you're looking to talk to someone else about some stuff like that as well. But as we finish up today, wh- what we want to do is just finish with the tone that Paul does, the reason for all of this. The reason I think that he's speaking so heavily about this idea that marriage is good, but singleness is better, and I think it's this, time is short. Everything in this world is fading. And what really matters is that we live our life devoted to Jesus. That's what matters more than anything else. So whoever you are, whatever season you're in, 
Let's hold on to that truth. We will not be here forever. Time is short. Things are fading. But what's done for Jesus will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray um, that as we've talked about some of this stuff this morning, we pray, Lord, that if we are feeling the weight of this, that you would first and foremost comfort us, that you would be with us. We pray, Lord, that um, as a church family, we would be able to walk through this uh, together. Um, We pray that you would give us the courage, if we need to, to talk about some of this stuff. And particularly, Lord, if we need help, that we would find that. We pray, Father, that in the middle of this discussion around relationships, around singleness, around all the stuff that's been raised over the last few weeks, we pray that we would be grounded in the reality that the living God, over all things, Jesus has entered into the world to deal with our problems and our pain, to satisfy the deep longings of our heart and to give us a hope of something infinitely better. Help us to remember, Lord, time is short, things are fading. But what's done for you is what lasts. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to remember this in the core of who we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.